Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Today's scripture reading will come from Acts 54, 7, 54 through 59. Acts 7, 54 through 59. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And he went... And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You may be seated. Our song leaders always do a terrific job choosing the songs for our worship that correspond with what I'm about to preach. And you may have perceived that the thread that ran through Stephen's selections this morning was the soul. And this, this reading that we've just had is about the stoning of Stephen, who when he realized he was just about to die this martyr's death, prayed that the Lord would receive his spirit. I want to talk today about our soul. In Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus said, what is a man profited? And you know this verse. What's a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? It's very interesting. The first of those two questions, why why it couldn't happen for one man to inherit the whole world. It's philosophical. The second one not only could happen, it happens, I would think, thousands and perhaps millions of times a day where people make choices that are inconsistent with Jesus Christ and in so doing lose their souls. What I want to do this morning is to give you seven, you know I'm a pointed preacher, I want to give you seven important things to know that you know that you know about your soul. Seven facts about the soul that all of us need to remember. This is foundational. This is life-changing and it's so important to the living of the Christian life. Seven important things to remember about your soul. If you're going to make a list, what would be on your list of what you know about your soul? What would you write down? Let's go to the Bible. Here's number one. The Bible says that my soul will go on for all eternity. Now that one may seem obvious to you. Maybe, maybe that would be first on your list, that my soul is eternal. It will exist for all eternity. We sing about that, home of the soul, beautiful home, where we will never die. That's, that's what we think about. And Jesus here is talking about the value of the soul and he emphasizes the fact that because the soul lasts so long, the longevity of it for all eternity, why, that's part of its value, the inherent value. A car is theoretically more valuable if it's if it's known to be good for longevity. How many cars have you had in your life? For those of us who are getting a little older. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of cars. Some were good, some were terrible. 
But what if you could buy one car that would last you the whole lifetime? What would it be worth? That would never wear out. You could just use it on and on and on and will it to your kids. What would a car like that be worth? Well, you could, you could go ahead and add together all the money you've spent on cars all through the years. And you could say, well, it's worth at least that much. Think about your health. I mean, I don't mean your spiritual health. I mean your physical health. Did you know that we spent about $4.7 trillion in America last year to try to make our health better? I mean, medical expenses, 4.7 with a T, trillion dollars. And Jesus said, what does a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? A man came to his preacher one day and he said, could you explain eternity to me? The preacher said, I would, but it would take forever. How long is eternity? How long will your soul, I mean your soul, I'm talking about your soul. How long will your soul exist? When I was a young preacher and even even on through the years, I, I guess like most preachers, to help people get a grip on what eternity is like, what we do is that we, or what we have done is that we've created illustrations. I remember one that I would use and I would say, now imagine a mountain, a, a large mountain of solid stone. And every century, one time, every hundred years, a little bird would come along and he would sharpen his beak on that rock. And when that mountain has has thus been worn away, and here's the conclusion, eternity would have only just begun. I, I I think that has an impact, but it's not really so terribly legitimate, is it? Because we, we can't, we can't, describe a timeless place by using time, at least not adequately. It's, it's like saying, uh, I, I heard the expression on his face. I heard the concern on his face. Okay, really? Oh, well, okay. It's not exactly a fit, is it? I, I saw the sound in his voice. Mm, not exactly. And to, to describe a timeless place by using time measurement... It's like that. Here's the answer. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but this is a great passage to talk about eternity. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity in their hearts. Except, see, because you, I mean, you have some feel for it. You ponder eternity. You think about eternity. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Apparently, the point is that you, you cannot comprehend eternity. You can't. We're not capable of that. We're human beings, mortals, and everything we know has a beginning and an end. How do you know that you have a soul? You have a soul because God tells you you do. You can't cease to exist any more than God himself can cease to exist. And every soul, every eternal soul has the potential to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And though our outward man perishes, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. The first thing on the list that we've got to to ponder about our souls that you ought to keep with you is that it will never cease to exist. You will exist as long as our heavenly father is going to exist. And that is for eternity. Now, here's, here's the second thing is that sometimes... Our soul is, is used to describe a whole person. So here is Genesis chapter, chapter 2 and verse 7. 
And God made man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Can you remember the rest? And man became a living soul. The word soul is used not just for our spirits, but, but for our whole being. And I think it's very interesting, and I'm, I'm, I'm just saying this to, to give us a better understanding of it, but I think it's very interesting that we do this today. When you, well, you remember in um, 2009, and Captain Sully landed the plane, came out of LaGuardia, remember, and he hit those geese, engines went down, he landed that plane on the Hudson River. Right after that happened, ABC News had a news report, I guess all the networks, of course, did, and described it, and, and the way that it was described, and you can still watch the newscast today, was this statement. There were 155 souls aboard that plane. But that wasn't unusual terminology, that's typical terminology, protocol for, for flying and for the, the airline industry. They were souls, those people were souls. So you, you describe the whole person with the word soul. That's true in maritime protocol as well. Here's number three. My soul is my psyche. I, I sometimes say, and I think it's a pretty good walking down the street definition for soul, to, I mean, to help us to grasp it, and, and there, there are philosophical disagreements about this, but I, I like to say that my soul and my, my mind are synonymous things. You want to be aware of your soul right now? Well, with your mind, you're thinking, and just be aware of the fact that that's, that's your soul. Your soul is the essence of you. C.S. Lewis said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. Your soul has a body. You have a body. Your soul is who you are. And so your awareness is your, is your psyche. Now, I didn't make that up. I mean, that's just Bible truth because the Greek word for soul, when Jesus said, what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The word soul in the Greek language, are you ready for this? Is psyche. When you say the word psyche, it's a Greek word. Psyche. Now just, just weave that through your mind. What that means is that my will, my, my choices come from the thought processes of my soul. When I choose good instead of evil, I'm doing that because of what's going on in my soul. It's the, it's the psyche, it's the essence of who I am, of me. When I say to my spouse, I love you from the depth of my soul, I'm saying something true. I mean, if I really do love her, because it's my psyche. Number four, Scripture uses the word, often will use the word soul and spirit interchangeably. Now, this is not an uncommon question to get about the difference, because sometimes you'll see a verse and they'll use soul and spirit in the same verse, and it seems to suggest that there are two different things comprehended there. No, that's not true. The soul and the spirit are the same thing. Sometimes you have what's called Hebrew parallelism, where you would stack synonyms for emphasis. And, and that's what you've got when you see soul and spirit in the same verse. It's interesting that you don't have soul and spirit um, set out when somebody dies. You don't say, and his soul left and his spirit left, because they're the same thing. Now let, me, let me just illustrate that. Here's, let's go to talk about Jesus. And here's John chapter 12 and verse 27. My soul is troubled. But the next chapter, chapter 13, verse 21, says that he was troubled in his spirit. Where, well, where, where was he troubled? 
He was troubled in his soul, in his spirit. What about Mary? When Mary, here's the next slide, Luke chapter 1 and verse 46, and the angel is explaining to her that she's going to have the Christ child. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Now examine that verse and appreciate the fact that he's using the terms interchangeably. Soul and spirit is the same thing. Let me give you one more. Here's Genesis 35 and verse 18. And it's talking about when Rachel died. And it says, so it was as her soul was departing for she died. But then in Luke 23, when you're talking about our Lord, he said on that cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now when you die, which is it? Is it your soul or your spirit that goes back to be with God? And the answer is, it's the same thing. Those are synonymous terms. They mean exactly the same. All right, number five. We, we all have to get matter of fact about our souls. We always, when we speak of our souls, ought to speak matter of factly. And maybe in some company that seems a little uncomfortable because this is not something that is tangible. The soul is not something that you can experience with your senses. And because of that, maybe we'd feel a little foolish around some unbelieving people to talk openly about our souls or matter of factly about my soul. But we mustn't be like that. The fact is that the reason I know that I know that I know that I know that I've got a soul is because the Bible says I do. And I'll tell you something else. You, you are counting on Jesus' blood to take you to heaven. But if you don't believe that he's the son of God, why, you, you'll be lost. The fact of the matter is, Jesus testified that we have a soul. What does a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That'd be ridiculous if people didn't have souls. The fact is that we must always speak with conviction, matter-of-factly, about our souls. There's going to come a time, if you haven't experienced it already, when you're going to say goodbye to somebody very precious on earth to you. You need to have built up a, a firm appreciation for the reality of the soul. That there's a life beyond this one and that we will not cease to exist. How many times, how many times in your life have you been to a funeral And some Christian standing beside you said something along these lines. I do not know how people go through this without Jesus Christ. How do people go through this without an assurance of heaven? How can they do it? And the other person will say, I just, I just don't know. I don't know. Well, you're going to need it. You're going to need an appreciation. A matter of fact, firm conviction about the soul and these principles of the soul for when you lose a loved one, but you're going to need it for when you realize that your time is very short. Here's the conviction. Now, I want to illustrate this with these scriptures, and we're going to go through a few now. I don't know if this is the main time that we learn these principles about the soul, but but verses that have to do with birth and verses that have to do with death often will include the soul. And at birth, you got your soul, or, or I, I believe before that, while you're, when you were conceived, you got your soul. Now go, go with me to Zechariah. Here's chapter 12 and verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and listen, and forms the spirit within man. Acts chapter 7 and verse 
Uh, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7, you're familiar with this one. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Where did it come from? God created that. He formed it when you were conceived. Hebrews 12 and verse 9. We had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? You got your soul from God. Here's number 16 and verse 22. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh. That is to say, every man, every woman, every child has a soul. And every one of those was made by God. And what about death? Here's Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. And our Lord on the cross. And he turned to that, he turned to that thief and he said, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Now hold on a minute. That, that was very gratifying. That was very happy for the, the man dying next to our Lord. But both of them knew they were just about to die. There were, that was inevitable. That's something that was going to happen and in a very short amount of time. And yet, this, this idea of paradise was that you're going to continue living. What's that about? It's about a man's soul. You're going to continue living and you and I are going to be in paradise together. Here's Acts 7 and verse 59. And I love this, and uh, you heard it a while ago being read, that Stephen, when he died, said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, here in death, Stephen's not going to live very long. They're killing him. They're stoning him. And yet he knows that he has a spirit. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23 Paul said, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, I want you to see the contrast between the two. Just just get the matter-of-factness about this, which is to say, I'm going to depart and be with Christ, but my flesh I'm leaving behind. They're going to bury my body. And he uses that, that comparison. When Jesus said what he did in Matthew 16 and 26. What does a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? It's interesting to me that that's possessive, that God gave that to me. It's my own soul. If I had a hundred of them, I'd want to give every one of them to Jesus. Number six, when I highly value my soul, I'm agreeing with Jesus. Now, Let that soak in. Everything that I believe and hold to ought to agree with Jesus Christ. And when I say or believe that my soul is valuable, I'm agreeing with Christ. What does a man profit if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? It's worth more than the world. What do people give up their souls for? Of course, you'd, I, you'd, you'd make a list. It'd probably be like mine. You'd, you'd say, well, sometimes people give up their souls for wealth, material possessions, of course. In Luke chapter 12, a farmer had a very prosperous year, and he said, what shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my fruits. This will I do. I will, build, I will tear down my barns and build bigger, and then I will, there I'll bestow my fruits and my goods, and I'll say to my, this is interesting wording, isn't it? I'll say to my soul, soul that has much good laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, thou fool, listen closely, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then, then who shall those things be which you've laid up? And then Jesus added this, this last line. 
And so it is with everybody who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Yeah, but, but if I'm rich toward God, I won't have as much for myself. And then people, people lose their souls over their wealth, their, possessive, the, the, their pursuit of wealth. And sometimes it's about secular education. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, I'm not opposed to secular education, but I can tell you this. A lot of our young people go to universities and they sit at the feet of atheists who rob them of their faith. I don't know just how to say that exactly. It's not that we don't want our young people to be educated. Sometimes even Christian universities and kids will go to Christian universities and they go in with faith and they come out without it. What would you trade for your soul? Um, There's got to be a balance in there. There's got to be an acknowledgement of this somehow that that to be educated in such a way that I lose my faith because Jesus said in John 8 and 24, if you believe not that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. That's very emphatic. That's very emphatic. I I remember uh, sending our son to school and and Hannah too, but I'm thinking about when, when Caleb went on to different levels of education and, and I, to, to secular universities. And, and I was worried about that. I was concerned about that. And his faith sustained, and I'm so th- very thankful for that. I'm just saying that there's a, a caution here. When you talk about what you'd give for your soul, what you would exchange for your soul, it might be a particular education that I'm pursuing, and I'm, I'm willing to sit at the feet of people who are who have no faith, and whose objective it will be to take mine away from me. Sometimes it's the comfort of home. I don't, I don't, this isn't, maybe you wouldn't put this on your list, but I think it's very possible that I would have uh, such an obsession with the comfort of my own home that I didn't really have the time or wherewithal to live a Christian life. Or maybe it's a good time. Sinful entertainment. Think about that. And all of these things are, are consistent in one way. That all of them are going to be things that you're going to give up altogether when you breathe your last. None of this you're going to take with you. That'll all be, it'll all be gone. All of it. Warren Buffett is a somewhat wealthy man financially. Um, you, you can look this up. I, I looked it up. He's worth right now. I mean, in 2024, give or take, what he's worth is 131 with a B billion. $131 billion. But he's come rather, become rather famous for his philosophical side too. Now, he's agnostic. He doesn't, I don't guess he, I don't know if he cares, but he doesn't, he doesn't know whether there's a God or not. And he's not governed by that. But what's interesting is that sometimes a person like this will be praised for his ingenuity and his creativity when he says something that just seems so terribly profound. And in reality, it originated with Jesus. He just doesn't know that. The people around him don't know that. But he created a list of 10 things that are life lessons, which are very interesting, and I would say they're very good. Four of them pertain particularly, I think, to this lesson. Here they are. Ready? This is not from me. This is Warren Buffett. Everything is temporary. Life isn't fair. A lifetime isn't as long as you think. And things don't matter so much. When I highly value my soul, 
which, the, which is the only eternal thing I possess. And I only possess it because God gave it to me. And I know that I've got it because the Bible says it's so. And when I highly value that, I'm living and believing consistently with Jesus Christ, who said, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, here's number last. The cross of Christ is about souls. It's about souls. You know Ephesians 5 and 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. Now the church is the sphere of the saved. It's the place in which Jesus places people when he washes away their sins with his blood. And you say, what did Jesus go to the cross for? And the answer is Ephesians 5 25 says he died for the church. It's about souls. And we ache over this. We did it this morning when we ate the Lord's Supper and we rehearsed in our minds the the trials and the crucifixion of our Lord. And I've been eating the Lord's Supper for many, many years now, but I've never, ever lost the pain of recreating that in my mind. And I've told you this before. When I'm eating the Lord's Supper and we're drinking the fruit of the vine, I'm, I'm thinking about the... I can hear in my imagination the hammer as it's pounding on those nails because I know what that sounds like in a piece of timber. And I I can envision that, and I do envision that. And when we look at that, I'm going to tell you what, there's never been anything that was bought for a higher price than that, and there will never be anything bought for a higher price than that. And we look at that and we say, this just can't be right. I mean, why would Almighty God, as powerful as he is, why Why would this be necessary in order to save man from his sins? Why would it have to be like this? Well, first of all, establish in your mind that it did have to be like this. You've got to get that clear in your head. It had to be like this. And I know that because my Lord prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be possible. See, see what he's wrestling with here? If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It means a cup of suffering. It means drinking from this awful cup of the suffering of what they're about to do to him. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. So how did God respond to that? And if ever there was a time when God would be listening favorably to a prayer, of course it would be now. But Romans 8 and verse 32 says that he spared not his own son, See, the answer is it wasn't possible. It wasn't possible. And God is of pure eyes to look upon a, than to look upon iniquity. He can't cohabitate with sin. And you say, oh, I wish he could so the cross wouldn't happen. No, you don't. No, you, you don't wish that. How very corrupting that would be. And the hope that you put in heaven, the hope you put in all the promises of God would be mm, very shaky if God could be corrupted with evil. He cannot be. And so the only answer was that the only one who could, who could suffer and die as a propitiation for our sins, as an atonement for our sins, was Jesus. The vicarious death of Jesus was for our souls. It was about us. He spared not his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. When you think about the cross, I want you to think about souls. First Peter 1.18, you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. When Jesus said in our text for today, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I want you to pick up as I'm closing this sermon, I want you to pick up on the fact that he's using the term 
lose soul, lose your own soul as being synonymous with damned. Damned and losing your own soul are the same thing. What will you take with you when you die? Hmm? What, What do you suppose when you leave this old world, what will you take with you? The answer is, I can think of three things. Of course, your soul, that's you, you're going to be, your soul is going to be going. The second thing is in Revelation chapter 14, blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. They rest from their labors and their works do follow after them. And all the good things that you did, all the kind gestures, all the helpful things you did as a Christian, those will be going with you. Those will be remembered. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And the third thing is about our evangelism seminar coming up. And it will be, the third thing's going to be, you'll take with you people who you were able to bring to Christ. Now, by the way, and just parenthetically, while I'm on that, I think it would be wonderful if everybody in this room decided that before I die, I really, really would like to bring one person, at least one person to Christ. And uh, just make that your goal. And just and, and so what we're going to do in this, this upcoming seminar is to learn practical ways to do that. And that's what we're afraid of. Uh, we, what we need is, is practical ways to have conversations. And, and that's what this, is, this seminar is known for. And the results have just been amazing in churches just like West Huntsville. And so I, I really want to encourage all of you to take part of this. One person. What if I could just bring one person? And when our time is finished, whenever that is, you ever thought about what you would like for your last words to be? Well, Acts 7 and verse 59, a man could do worse than than for them to be these. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Are you in Christ? And if the answer is no, what I want you to do right now is to, is to ask yourself this question. What is the reason that I'm not in Christ? Why, why not? And, then, and then, then whatever you answer, just distill that down and hold that in your mind for a minute and say, that's what I'm trading my soul for. It's, that's what it is. How do you like that? And maybe it'll take you a little thought to figure out what exactly is it. But... But when you come down to it, I want you to just say to yourself, hold it out there and say, that's what I'm trading my soul for. You know, this, this idea that Jesus gave about if he gained the whole world, well, Satan's been buying them a lot cheaper than that for an awful long time. Doesn't take the whole world. And when you look at what it is, it may just embarrass you. You're, I don't mean you're telling anybody, but just on your insides, in your soul, when you're thinking about that, it may seem so very, very small. It should. And then what I want you to do is just to resolve that I'm not going to let that keep me out of heaven. I'm going to make things right with my God. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.